I want things to be right the first time. I want them to be systemic and I want them to be, you know, kind of in order. And it's understanding that that's not how life is. Life is very great. Life is messy. And it's taken me going through some of those hardships to be able to learn that process. And I think it's ever evolving. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. This episode is brought to you by Baseball Cloud. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. This provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product, allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. Go to BaseballCloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. In this episode, I welcome Drew Saylor, hitting coordinator and minor league manager for the Pittsburgh Pirates. In 2018, Drew was named Baseball America's Minor League Baseball Manager of the Year. He led the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes to an 87-53 season which culminated in capturing the California League Championship. His time in the LA Dodgers player development system went from 2015 to 2018, managing their high A team. Before joining the Dodgers, he spent time coaching with the Colorado Rockies player development system. Andrew is also a graduate of Kent State and was drafted in the 13th round of the 2006 draft by the Florida Marlins and spent five seasons playing in minor league baseball before making the transition over to a coach. On the show, Drew gives us an inside look into his favorite communication strategies, but he also talks about how he is able to maneuver between both of his job roles, how to train players to get their body and mind in sync to respond to game situations, and what it takes to improve timing and rhythm as a hitter. This episode is so good, and here is Drew Saylor. Drew, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you for having me on, Jonathan. Definitely, definitely. Well, we got the chance to meet at Slugfest, and I, I don't know if we had met before, but got the chance to talk for a little while and got the chance to soak in some good baseball minds and talk some hitting, and And I asked you to be on the show, and I'm so, so grateful that you said yes, and we finally got the chance to record, but I am really excited to get to record with you today, and I know the listeners are excited to get to hear a little bit about you know, your journey, but if you could just start with how you got into the game of baseball and why you decided to get into coaching. Wow. Yeah. That's, um, it's a really dynamic question. A lot of a lot of ways, but, um, no, my, my wife actually encouraged me to get back into baseball. Um, I played for a little bit, uh, played independent ball for a few years. Um, when I got done and got married and real life started, and I'm using air quotes, mm-hmm. um, I worked a regular job. I worked an enterprise rent a car for, for a couple of years. And Amanda, uh, about the year and a half mark was like, you need to get back into something you're passionate about, something that the wakes you up. You're not the man that I married. And so she encouraged me to get back in. Um, I worked actually at Cleveland State for a little bit, University of Akron, and uh, shot my resume out uh, to all the clubs and had some good conversations with uh, about six or seven of them. And the Rockies were the first ones to be able to offer me an opportunity to be a hitting coach in 2012. And uh, took that opportunity and um, that manifested itself to managing for a couple of years in the Northwest League with the Tri-City Dust Devils. Uh, after that, went back into the hitting space with a hitting coach in Modesto uh, in 2015. 
And then uh, at that time, Gabe Kapler and Andrew Friedman uh, took over in L.A. and they reached out and wanted me to uh, interview for a manager's position. And, uh, you know, through that transition, managed for three years with the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes. And at the conclusion of this past season, um, again, kind of, you know, was reaching out, talking to some other clubs and uh, got the opportunity to interview with the Pirates for the assistant hitting coordinator job and also uh, short season A manager with the West Virginia Black Bears and got a chance to get closer to home. And uh, that's kind of where we're at today. So uh, really, really, really distinct way of, of telling you about an eight year span. Uh, but obviously very excited to get back into the hitting space and get a little bit closer to home. And uh, again, trying to you know keep that work-life balance a little bit more consistent. No doubt, no doubt. And, you know, whenever I was doing a little bit of research about you and talking to you off the mic for what, you know, what seemed like a good 30 minutes, which was a ton of fun before we got started, your wife seems to come up a lot. And it sounds like she's a very strong person, very, very obviously a coach's wife, so she's got to be. But she's also the one that pushed you back into the game of baseball. And at the time, I think you were selling cars. And I think that's that's a really, really cool story in itself. Yeah, she she's incredible. I mean, very type A personality. Um, you know, she's uh, the type of person that if you tell her she can't do something, she's she's the one who will go, okay, I got you. Watch. <laughs> and, and I think that, uh, you know, really, I've just been incredibly blessed. God definitely gave me the right one because there's areas that I'm not very strong. And those are some of her strongest traits and attributes. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I think really more than anything else, just our faith journey together um, to have someone uh, truly sacrifice um, herself to be able to get me to do something that I'm passionate about and really, you know, what I believe in some regards is my calling mm -hmm. uh, to be able to impact men through baseball. I think that that sacrifice that she did, you know, back in 2011, it's really taken me, you know, seven, eight years to really be able to understand just the magnitude of that decision. I mean, to know that for seven months out of the year, um, you know, she's, you know, lugging three kids across the country. She's jumping into planes and, you know, she is in a lot of respect, a single parent mm -hmm. and to be willing to tell someone that you love and care about so much and basically to put him above your own personal wants and needs, it, it truly is humbling and inspiring. So, and I know I could probably talk for another 45 minutes, you know, just, you know, a lot of the little uh, details within that decision, but, mm -hmm. um, at the end of the day, it's such a godly woman and a godly wife to be able to have with me. And uh, again, I'm just I'm inspired by her daily. Right, right. That you know, I, I'm not I'm not older, but I'm getting to the point now where there's there are coaches that are younger than me that are you know getting hired and and working on staff. And every now and then the the topic will come up of what do you wish you had known then or. Or what, what, if you could go, if you could give us any advice, what would it be? And I, and I, you know, I always go back to, if you're getting into coaching, you've got to find the right woman. And that's, that's something that, that I took for granted. And I, like you said, God put me in a place to where I was with, uh, with Macy. And so it, it really worked out well, but if, if they are not ready and they are not willing to put you and, and your family above themselves, then it's just, it's going to be really hard to make it work. And I, I you made that you know, it really, you made that so eloquent in the way that you put that as well. But whenever you got hired, 
with the Pirates. And so we're talking about this past offseason, and you get hired. You know, I really, because it's a topic that doesn't come up a lot, but what were some of the first things that you did? So I, I really enjoy hearing people talk about whenever, so whenever they first get hired, you've got a mountain thing of things that you want to get accomplished, and you've got all these goals, you've got all these expectations. But what were a few of the first things that you did whenever you took the job and you signed on the dotted line? What, what were, uh, can you walk us through those if you don't mind? Yeah, well, I think more than anything else, uh, once I came on board, it was probably about four or five hours later, uh, we still had some hiring that we had to do within the organization with the hitting space. So mm-hmm. it was, hey, take a look at these uh, resumes. Uh, we need you to reach out to these individuals and we need you to, you know, start kind of moving down the line to be able to see what uh, people we, we want to really get some in-depth conversations and see uh, who would be good fits to bring into our pirate culture. Mm-hmm. So it was a very weird transition to go, hey, I'm interviewing for this opportunity with you guys. And now you have to completely, you know, go the opposite direction where now you're the interviewer. And so that in and of itself was a really um, awesome experience, but also just a very radical 180 from what I was already going through. So, mm-hmm. and it was my first time. I mean, I really never had to interview a lot of people, uh, you know, previously. And, and I think that that was something that was a great and joyful experience to go through. There was, you know, moments where, you know, some of the conversations were, were awesome. Some I kind of let spiral in different directions when maybe I could have directed them uh, down the path that we wanted to be able to go to. But uh, that experience was great and really think that, um, you know, that was a, an interesting just process to go through in and of itself. So sure. that was one. Uh, the second part, too, was just getting to know the people in the organization and, you know, just starting those relationships mm-hmm. and, and wanting to talk with them, getting to know them. Uh, because at the end of the day, I think a lot of times, you know, we have these grand plans, but really we, we need to be able to develop, you know, great relationships and trust and, and also get people a voice. You know, mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, when we have these very specific processes that we want to institute and implement, people feel like, well, what you, you're telling me what I should do. You know, you're not giving me some creative uh, space. So I think that really that was the, the two things that, you know, we did immediately once we came in uh, to the organization was develop those relationships and then try to figure out who we wanted to bring in. Sure. Sure. I like that a lot. And I like that that you took your time. And that's something that, I, you know, I haven't ever been the head of an organization or a head coach or anything like that. But I do I do become fascinated by how people move around and some of the first things that they do, because that you want to set the tone for your year or your career or your team, but it all seems to come back to that relationship building because, like you mentioned, the, la- the last thing that you want to do is to throw a bunch of ideas without any feedback or without having that relationship with the people that you're working with because they're not going to carry it out in a way that, that you would like unless you've had that conversation with them. Is that what you've seen uh, that has happened in the last couple of months? Oh, yeah. You know, and and again, I think that, you know, there are times where we have to have continuing education. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have to be able to talk about ways here or blending the technology, the data uh, to the subjective nuance uh, of teaching. And and I think that if we get too extreme on either side, that's where we start missing the boat. Yes, we, we do need to be able to have stats, tech and data into what we do. There are other uh, aspects and 
spaces as well, where we need to be able to grow uh, our culture and, and grow our human capital. You know, so I think that it, it's always finding bad balance of, of all things considered. So I, I think for me, a lot of what we've done is, you know, we create the culture, uh, we create the relationship, and then now we're trying to build out how we view and how we evaluate our people. And, and then from there, that's where you get a chance to start formulating better processes uh, as we move forward. Another interesting aspect of that, and you mentioned continuing education, is I, I'm sure in pro ball you've got uh, a lot of different personalities with a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different experiences. So if and you're coming in as as kind of the new guy, so how does how does a meeting like that work? And I'm sure you can't get into a ton of details, but if if I was say I was the head coach or if, if I'm a coordinator and there are some guys that I'm I'm really I'm trying to help them to understand what I'm going through or what I'm seeing and a just a meeting that says, hey, you may not be doing exactly what I'm asking you to, but let me have some feedback. Does, does that make sense? Because those are really hard conversations when, when you're the new guy and maybe you have or haven't built a relationship, but you're trying to, you're trying to help get them to understand what, what you're trying to do and maybe they like it and maybe they don't. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, and, and that's a lot of the, the growth moments for me as a leader, you know, mm-hmm. as I've managed, I've been a hitting coach, you know, throughout my eight years. And, mm-hmm. you know, there, there are some times that I've fallen flat on my face, you know, because you, you try to change too much too fast. You know, you don't take your time to be able to develop the relationship. You know, a lot of that stuff, it's just, again, it's more nuanced. And, you know, luckily I've been in some organizations that have um, allowed me to fail um, as a leader mm-hmm. and have provided support and feedback for me to be able to grow. And, and I think that that's the part for me personally, that's been challenging because I want things to be right. The first time I want them to be systemic and I want them to be, you know, kind of in order. And it, it's understand that that's not how life is. Life is very great. Life is messy. And it's taken me those failures, you know, going through some of those hardships to be able to learn that process. And I think it's ever evolving. Right. And, and a lot of what I have done as a leader is to be able to go, you know, Hey, I, I have failed this way. I have messed up this way. I have fallen short of the mark this way and to have those transparent moments. And, and that's what has allowed me to be able to have those discussions as we are continuing to move, uh, the pirate organization, the pirate culture forward, you know, and so a lot of those discussions, <clears throat> when it comes into how we're, we're intertwining the tech and the data, it's just having the, the presentations, but also just to follow up with them, mm-hmm. but also letting people grow and, and be able to consume the information at their pace. And just know that, again, it's not going to be this very rigid, you know, particular process that's going to take some time with each individual and just letting people have that creative space to be able to grow and learn. I like that. And I love how you, how you answered that question and you are continually talking about growth and learning and being vulnerable. And those are all aspects of a, of a great leader, I think. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, that I noticed that's a little bit different with your role, you're not only the minor league hitting coordinator, you are also the, a minor league manager. So you've got kind of a dual role between the two. So talk to us about that and talk to us about, you know, the, the unique aspects within that. 
Well, I'll let you know with the manager role when it when it gets a little bit closer. Sure. Uh, I'm just kidding, but um, no, I think what has been great about the role is you you get a chance to be able to you know flip your hat and you know switch back and forth and and I, I think that my experience as a manager over the past you know five years, four years, a lot of times you get so close to the forest you can't see the trees. You know, kind of mm-hmm. using that anecdotally and. For me, what I have tried to um, accomplish as a coordinator is to not lose that feel of that day-to-day, you know. And, and I know that, again, a lot of times when I manage, there's so much emphasis that we talked about with winning. I do think winning uh, coincides with development. Um, I think now, uh, being on the coordinator side, you go, oh, wow, now I kind of understand um, a lot of the discussions, um, you know, that some of the other coordinators and front office and scouts talked to me about during my time, uh, you know, being a manager, you know, how that's important because you get a chance to see it from a different vantage point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that experience is invaluable. And so I think, um, you know, as I transition back to being a manager, um, you know, just because I've gotten a chance to be able to look at, look at that whole system through a different lens, I have a little bit more respect a little bit more awareness, I think, of just how those things come together and how they, they coincide and really just the difficulty that all the Miley managers have because on any given day, you're being asked a really difficult question of we need to develop, we need our guys to be engaged, we need these guys to be emotionally, spiritually, physically, uh, and mentally focused. And on top of that, we need these guys to grow. And on top of that, we need these guys to go learn how to coincide with the team dynamics. So yeah, wow. um, I think having I think having that awareness um, really has helped the conversations that I've had with the managers, just knowing just how difficult it is to be a minor league manager. Um, mm-hmm. So I think for me, just as I transition now over here the next couple of weeks to go and manage uh, the black bears, I think it's going to help me just have a better perspective and a better, uh, respect for what the manager's, uh, demands are. Right. And, you know, being the coordinator, you have to have conversations, I'm guessing all the time on a, probably on a daily basis about the different teams and what they're doing on top of your managing the the black bears in the next couple of months. So I'm sure that, uh, that you've got your plate full, but what are those? What do those conversations look like? Are they just giving you feedback, or are you giving them feedback on some different things to do? Because I'm guessing, as a manager, you're well. I know as a manager, you're seeing your guys every day, and as a coordinator, you're looking at the long-term aspect of it. But they're seeing it on a micro level with on a daily basis. Yeah, you know, and that I think is where um, you know the communication is paramount because you have the opportunity to ask them, "Hey, how's the day to day?" How's this guy's attitude, his work ethic, his emotional state, his mental state? You know, you get a chance as a coordinator to think bigger picture. You're talking, you know, one to three year uh, intervals, mm-hmm. and they're looking at the week to week, month to month, and then in certain regards, just the year perspective with with the players. Right. So I think it's a good checks and balances when you have those discussions where you know you can give some critical feedback, um, you can give them some support. Um, one of my big goals is spending time with the hitting coaches and with the managers and say, Hey, like, you know, how's the you know, chemistry of the club? What are some of the hot spots? How can I support you? Mm-hmm. What conversations can I have with these particular players that maybe you feel like the message isn't getting across. You feel like 
you need me to really drive home an initiative. How can I be of service to you? And mm-hmm. so I think that that really helps the relationship and bond that we have together, you know, with the manager, hitting coach and myself, but also uh, when I go in and I have those discussions with the players, it's not necessarily that a coordinator is a Mr. Fix-It. A coordinator is really just an additional support mm-hmm. of, of what the staff there are doing. And, you know, more like a, just that, that additional, you know, higher level, you know, person that comes in and really drives home the, hey, like, you know, they're saying this, here's maybe a different way to look at it, but it's still the same thing, you know? So I think it just, it helps just that, that overall growth and development process with the individual and also with the team as a whole. Right. And, and we, as we, as coaches and we, as, you know, individuals who want to be better, which I'm guessing most people do, most coaches want to become better. It, it always helps to have a little bit of feedback and a little bit of help when you need it. So it's, it's like, Hey, I can't, I've tried everything with player X here and I'm just, I'm not getting anything. I'm, we're not getting the results we wanted. Drew, what do you think? What do you think about this? And so that's just, extra feedback. I know you've got your manager and you've got your hitting coach and they can give each other feedback, but at the same time, you're, you're kind of seeing the, the bigger picture of everything too. And you just provide a different set of eyes. And, you know, for our listeners, a lot of us, you know, we're not in pro ball and we, you know, we're in high school, college, but I think sometimes we get afraid of feedback because we think it's going to be negative, but in the end, the players are going to benefit a whole lot more greatly than, you know, us just padding our ego. And, and I love that aspect. You talked about support. You talked about being a servant leader. And I think that that's an absolutely fantastic way to go about it. Yeah. And again, it's, it's even in addition to the players getting better, it, it's the coaches getting better, you know, oh, and there, there are some times that we have to have some direct feedback uh, with them. And again, I mean, I think that more than anything else, it's, I, I like to think about failure as moving forward, moving forward, failure is growth. And so if we're falling short of the mark, you know, having those discussions with the staff, with the player and not necessarily saying, Hey, I think you stink because of this. I think it's, Hey, this is a way of moving forward. Um, it really helps shape and mold the messages to be more of a positive thing instead of, you know, instead of it being a negative. And I think that that's where I've had to grow the most. Because, you know, there are times where I'm like, man, I really want this to go down this exact way. But in the same token, because of my failures in the past as, as a leader, um, I've learned, okay, well, no, the way that they're going to grow is when they feel that they're empowered and they're intrinsically motivated. So how can I ask the right question? How can I create the right environment? where the staff and player feel like they're able to have that latitude and freedom. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think you start, you know, having better cultures and better environments where people feel that they're engaged and they have a vested interest and they're accountable to what goes on. And that's really, you know, from, from our side of the street here with the pirates, where we're trying to grow with our guys is to, we want to fail forward. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's something that we're seeing some early uh, residual with, with our hitting space and just how our organization's continuing to grow. I really like that a lot. And let's, let's talk a little bit about the hitting side. And, you know, again, our audience is mostly high school, college, some youth coaches and some pro ball guys as well. And so you're coming into a new organization this off season, whenever you're talking about the different aspects of what you're looking for, because I'm sure you're just digging into video to find out what you've got and who's who and doing a ton of research on the players. 
But whenever you're looking at, you know, it as a whole, where do we start? And, you know, how does that conversation go whenever you're like, hey, player X or player Z, I, I see you, that you're doing some really good things here. What do you think about trying this? And, you know, long story short, whenever, whenever we're trying to help a player that we don't necessarily know as well, where do you start and what does that conversation look like? Yeah, well, I think that's a really dynamic and very nuanced question. Sure. I think that we all look at hitters through a lot of different uh, lenses. Mm-hmm. Personally, and this is just my lens, my perspective, it, it really starts with, with their ability to swing at stuff they can hit hard and take stuff that they can't. Sure. And, and I know that that sounds very simplistic, and, and it's really, at the end of the day, all the other stuff that we want to build into the hitter, their you know, movement patterns, their ability to hit the ball hard, their ability to get on base, you know, all those different things revolves around them looking for something they can hit, having a plan, getting into the box. And then when the ball shows up there, it's being able to get your swing off and and find a way to hit the ball hard. And and I think that that is really the the center point. And then we build out from there. And, you know, a lot of it is not new. A lot of this is the same stuff we've talked about for years and years and years in the game. You know, we want to be able to, you know, hit the ball hard. We want to be able to hit it on a line. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to be able to drive the baseball, you know, to the outfield, that type of stuff. It's the same stuff we've been talking about. It's just now we have a little bit more uh, clarity and something that we can actually point to and have some measurables. So, you know, all the other stuff in terms of exit velocity or launch angle, bat a ball profile, all that stuff, uh, for me, it's just it's giving us more of something we can point to uh, objectively. And it just, it gives us more context. It gives us more of a richer, more full uh, viewpoint of what the hitter is. So really for me, at the end of the day, it, it boils down to that. Are you swinging stuff you can hit hard? And when you do swing, do you hit it hard? XBAT has a special offer for our listeners. The XBAT Speed Trainers, powered by Driveline Baseball, are a revolutionary bat speed training system that utilizes a mix of overload and underload weighted training bats to promote bat speed, power, and precision hitting. This month, Axe released their newest training bat, the Axe Long Trainer. The Long Trainer is a 37-inch, 37-ounce training bat that helps high school, college, and pro hitters improve their bat path and increase bat speed. It comes with data-driven training programs from Driveline Baseball for in-season and off-season development. Go to axbat.com and use our code AOTC at checkout to save 10% on your purchase of Axbat training products, including all of the Axbat speed trainers and wood bats. Axbat, your fastest swing starts now. No, I really like that. And just to compound on your uh, data comment, I, I think that, you know, the first couple of years that I was, that I was a coach, then you'd always ask him, hey, where, where's your pitch? Like, what, what do you feel like you hit hard? And having the data has given us a way to be able to actually measure that. And uh, your guys are a little bit older, a little bit more refined, and you may run into this as well. But especially with the, with the younger guys, they really, one, I hope that they have an idea, which if we haven't had that conversation, I'm not sure a lot of them do. Maybe they do innately, but they, it, they, you know, they know it when they see it but they have a hard time explaining it. But sometimes it's really not like they have no idea what they hit hard. And and so we had a flight scope this past year and it was able to, you know, track uh, exit velocity based on pitch location. 
And a lot of those guys were really surprised with where they actually hit the ball hard. So they would point to a, a certain spot in the strike zone or they would tell us and then we would show them or we could sh- we could show them the, the strike zone and where they hit hard. And it wasn't even close, like, or some of them. And some of them, they were right on, which hopefully those are your better players that are having an idea of what, what they're trying to do. But some of, some of them were really surprised by the different things that, that we showed them. Yeah, and you know what? What I think is beautiful about that is it's something that you can concretely point back to and it creates more dialogue and more discussion. It's not necessarily the I'm right and you're wrong. It's more along the lines of, Hey, we see that this is an area that we can improve upon. How do you think we can do that? And what is some of those processes uh, looking like? So Mm -hmm. um, I love the fact that we can start to, to dive in and dovetail a lot of those discussions and we can kind of point to something a little bit more concrete because again, I think one of the great things about social media and, and the way that we share information out is really, we have all these different resources where you know, previously, you know, it would be like for you and me to be able to connect, we'd have to go to, and again, it's great. We went to select investing, went to that conference, but mm-hmm. You know, we'd have to read, uh, you know, collegiate baseball newspaper, baseball America, and then try hopefully to be able to, you know, write a letter or whatever it is to be able to connect. Mm-hmm. Now we can just read your Twitter profile or read, you know, your Facebook post or your Instagram or listen to a podcast. And it really just the connectivity piece uh, nowadays, it, it's beautiful. So we sure. get an opportunity to really be able to share ideas faster. And so for me, I think that that's, we need to look at it as not a negative. We need to look at it as a positive. And the way that we all fall forward or fail forward is being able to have those discussions and say, hey, this is how I think we can best utilize launch angle. This is how we can best utilize improving this movement pattern is by putting them in better anterior pelvic. So what do you mm-hmm. think about that? And now we get a chance to tether in a lot of different departments where previously it was, you know, really just how we learned along the way. So now we're leveraging our experience with other people that have, you know, experience in the movement profile aspect with the data component. So I, I look at it as being an incredible positive. We just need to be able to have more communication with one another. Sure. And there's, there's a lot of things to unpack that, that you just said that I think that that's, there's a lot of gold in that conversation. And, you know, my goal for 2019, 2020 and the, and the season is to take all the different complex ideas that we have or we, we learned and be able to simplify it in a way that makes sense to every player in our program. Because I feel like, you know, the more that we learn, the more excited that we get and the more, you know, you mentioned anterior, anterior pelvic tilt. You mentioned that to my players and they look at you like, what? Right. But if we yeah. if we can take that or we can take you know, launch angle, exit velocity, whatever data that we're trying to, that we're trying to convey to them, I think that the more simple we can do it in a way that still covers our, most of the aspects that we're trying to teach them, the better, because then they're not thinking about, okay, now I've got to get into hip load, anterior pelvic tilt, I've got to turn the barrel, I've got to hit it hard, and, and all of these different things when they're trying to hit, if we can do it in a, in a simple way, and uh, I think that's just going to make them have to think less about it, and that's something that it's a constant, it's a constant daily process because you've got, especially you, you've got players from different backgrounds, from different cultures, speaking different languages. And, you know, our, my guys are younger, so they're, they're not as into owning the process as your guys are. 
but you've got that ad- added aspect of you've got so many different cultures and some things mean different things in different languages. And so talk to us about you. You ended on communication. Talk to us about how you are going about that to all of the different players that you work with, because I'm sure that that is a task in itself. Oh, no, it definitely is. I think that that's where, you know, the coaches, the boots on the ground um, are so critical to the process because they get an opportunity to give us more feedback and say, Hey, this guy thinks and interprets his swing this way. And so then we get a chance to be able to speak his particular language. And I'm not necessarily just saying like English, Spanish, but you know, for someone that would say, yeah, like if, if I feel my chest is over my knees, that's when I know that I'm in the right spot and I move the fastest. And then we can go, Oh, awesome. That's perfect. So in theory, that's the anterior pelvic tilt we were talking about but he thinks chest over knees. And on top of that, if, if we have tech and data, we can say, Hey, when your chest is not over your knees, you're not hitting the ball as hard. I love that. And here's what we see with that. So it's not necessarily that we're trying to hit X. It's no, we look at what the data says. We know that when you're in an optimal position to move, you're able to stabilize or increase this. And so I think that it's, really trying to decriminalize what the data quote unquote says it's to show the player hey the skill itself the tool that you have which is hitting the baseball hard it's there now when we get into the game how do we get that out so you're, sure. you're peeling back the different layers of what it is to go and compete in that moment i think a lot of times in the past our players will you know, have a really great hitting session in a cage, right? And I'm going back on my experience when I was a player. And I'm like, yeah, I feel really good. You know, hey, the ball flies like this. And, you know, Drew, how do you feel? I feel awesome. And then I get in the game and I go over four with two pop-outs, a punch, and a a slow rollover. And I'm like, well, that didn't work because obviously it didn't work in the game. Right. We get an opportunity now where we can tell our players, hey, the skill itself, the tool, it works. We have the ability to say it works. Now let's move on to the next phase, which is what you swing at. Because mm-hmm. really your 0 for 4 day had everything to do with you were just searching for results. So you swung at two breaking balls down. Right. When you're trying to hunt a fastball, you're on front of a changeup. In the pop-up, you swung at a pitch at your letter. Mm-hmm. So it's not the skill. The skill works. Your plan and your approach, that's really what we need to focus on next. So it really just gives us more clarity in terms of where we need to direct our attention to. Well, that in, it takes out a lot of the guesswork or the opinion aspect of it. And you, again, you hit on this earlier as well, but it's no longer, hey, Drew, I see you doing this. It's, hey, Drew, the data says this. Here's how I'm interpreting it. What do, what do you think? Like, is this is this something that you feel? Is this something that you see? And And it's instead of, you know, you may feel great in the cage and then you, you go in the game and like you said, it may be a pitch recognition thing or it may be you just inherently went back to your old patterns that you were talking about. So I really like that and, and I know that, that it's just, it's going to become more and more in into the game the, the more that this process goes along. But I think that's really, really good. And, you know, an, another thing that, that I'm really getting into lately and it's just been one of those that's it's really hard to find a lot of good a lot of good information about it and and it's something that's simple but it's it's timing like we always talk about being on time and if we're on time then we're going to have a pretty good chance of hitting the ball well but 
how do we train that and how we get players to inherently understand what on time feels like, that's really hard. And that's something that I'm having a really hard time figuring out and, and getting players to understand that. A lot of the kids we had this last year were having a hard time feeling when they were on time or off time, right? And competing with the pitcher, dancing with the pitcher, having a rhythm, whatever you want to call it. But what are some different conversations look like with that? Or are, are there some different ways that we can train that? And just, I would love to hear your thoughts on just the aspect of timing. Yeah, you know, and, and timing's a very specific thing, not just to the hitter, but also to the pitcher. Sure. You know, so I think yeah. that when players are not necessarily on time, or they don't have the ability to get on time. One of the first questions that we try to ask them is, when are you starting? your load, your gather, your swing initiation, uh, your sway, your sit, whatever, whatever verbiage people want to use, I'll say, hey, when, when do you start it? Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of times our players either won't have a response right away or they'll have to think about it. And then that's when, at least for me, it's kind of one of those like alarms. I'm like, all right, he's thinking maybe too much internally. Like he's trying to get his body to move in a certain way. So now we're cluttering up and we're opening up, you know, the anecdote it gives, we're opening up too many um, Microsoft uh, internet Explorer windows. So now we're slowing the processing speed of the computer. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times that will open up different discussions to say, okay, well, you know, you're starting at the same time with this pitcher, you know, you're doing it when his hands like releasing the ball how would you give yourself more time moving forward? If you know that you're late when the ball is being released, what, what would be an adaptation to, to that process? And a lot of them will go, uh, I, I, I don't know, maybe swing faster. And it's like, well, no, how about instead of doing it release, let's do it when his arm is, is starting to move up to the release window. So now you're giving yourself a little bit more time to do your move. Mm-hmm. It's not about trying to speed up your swing. It's actually about trying to give yourself more time for your a swing to be able to get to contact. I like that. And so a lot of those discussions start there and then we'll get into, well, do you think that you're thinking too much mechanics? What are some of your conscious thoughts? And so then you, you get an opportunity to let the conversation kind of grow in a lot of different directions. But mm-hmm. a, a, an initial question that, that we like to ask, and I especially like to ask is when are you starting in this pitcher's motion? And then from there, if they, you know, say, oh, no, I fuck, I'm on time, blah, blah. So, okay, well, what do you do when this guy's a slide step and he's a one, one, mm-hmm. when are you starting? Are you still starting at release? Or are you starting at a different point? So it gives more richness to the discussion, but you're also allowing the player to think through his process more. And a lot of times they'll settle on, you know, Hey, I'm thinking too much about trying to, to get my hands back or I'm getting to, you know, separate, um, I'm trying to think too much top hand or bottom hand. And so it gives you a little bit more insight to how their brain is processing things. And then it gives you an opportunity to be able to help clear out some of the clutter or you get a chance to go, no, this thought right here, this is the one we need to be able to settle on. And that will help you be on time. I like that. And again, we, without asking the player, then we have a really hard time understanding what, what they are thinking is, you know, because, then it's just guesswork, and so you're everything comes back to the player and asking them questions for you. Is that uh, that's obviously on purpose, right? Yes, tremendously. Because I think that when the idea comes from within, there's more investment, but you're also helping the player indirectly think 
through a vetting process of their swing. Instead of them coming to you and the lab rat uh, analogy of, okay, well, if I want to eat, I just hit this button and then the food comes out and then I consume it. Well, if we want to have players that are able to feed themselves in the jungle, we need to get them to think critically about their process so they have the ability to adapt on the fly. Because we know as you move up, the the gap margin between the guys that are elite at a certain level and everybody else, they're very big at lower levels. And it starts to become very, very, very granular when they get up to the major league level. So, you know, that's the part for me. I think that, you know, having them be able to adjust and be flexible in a very radical and very uncontrollable environment, I think that that's what we're trying to get, you know, and not to, not to speak more, uh, you know, in associations, but it, you know, you fish for a guy one day, you feed him for one day, you teach a man to fish, he feeds himself for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. I think that that second piece is what we're trying to get out of our players. We're trying to teach them how to fish. So then they're able to basically help them survive and help them grow, you know, and have the ideas come from within more, uh, you know, I guess, uh, organically. I love that. And I love that aspect. And, you know, something that, that early in my career I didn't do enough of, and now I'm getting to the point where I, before I say anything, I always ask them, you know, how does that feel? Or what were you thinking? Or, you know, just tell me a little bit about this or that. Just because, again, we're, we're kind of guessing unless we get that understanding of how their brain is working because, you know, we see these things, but their brain might be telling them something completely different. The brain is such a weird thing. And it's just, it, like, they may be trying that what we're telling them to do, but unless we understand what they're thinking or they're feeling, we're going to have a really hard time helping them fix or ha- helping them work through the process of fixing what they're trying to, to accomplish. And that's, that's just, the, the more that I get into this, the more that I understand that the brain and the body are, man, they, they, they act really weird a lot of the different times. <laughs> Absolutely, and that, that goes for, for staff, too. You know, I think mm-hmm. that a lot of times, you know, we, we get so dogmatic and say, no, like we always have to say this word because we need to not have confusion. We need to be able to say, well, really, if we're going to create a very vast and dynamic hitting group, we need to be able to have guys that think differently. Mm-hmm. And we need to have guys that see the game through different lenses, but also we create an environment where they can share and express their opinions without fear of judgment. Mm-hmm. And so we want to have dynamic guys, but we also need to have people have the understanding that I may say one thing and I may mean this, and we need to be able to ask and also have those discussions with one another to go, well, what do you mean by that? You know, Mm -hmm. what, what is your thought? Can you show me, can you express it? Can you incorporate more senses to this learning environment? So that way our players are going to continue to grow and, and be able to improve. And we improve um, as staff members because then we get a chance to hit more of our players instead of hitting this very, um, you know, small segment of our population. Right. No doubt. No doubt. I, I like that. And again, the more that we generalize stuff, I think that that as a group, they're hopefully they're going to get better. But if we can individualize and the more that we can and the more that we like you mentioned, you're talking to a player and you're getting the cues that he's using, then we can help that player and each player hopefully get better rather than just the group getting a little bit better as a whole. 
And an- another thing that I really like to do, and I don't, I don't know how much time that you guys have to do it, but I'm sure that during a long season, you guys like to compete in different aspects. So what are some different things that you guys do to integrate some different competition, whether that be in training or whether that be, you know, you have weekly winners for different things and anything that we can get the players to compete. I think it, one, it heightens their awareness and they get excited about it. And anything, anytime we can get the players excited about doing something in training, I, I, you've got to love that. But it also, you know, it, it makes it second nature whenever they're competing in the game. So what are some different things, different ideas that you have as far as competition goes? Well, I mean, we have, we have a lot. I mean, I think that, you know, we're trying to uh, incorporate more game speed into our training. I mean, we, we know that if you make your you know, training ground like the jungle, you're going to be able to have more, you know, viable and ready, you know, players when they get into the jungle of the game. So I think that we're, we're doing that. I think more than anything else is we, we talk a lot about hitting the ball hard. So we don't necessarily judge our players in terms of like batting average or those types of things. We actually reward our players that if they hit balls at, uh, you know, an exit velocity of hundred in the game. And I, I know flight scope helps out a lot. You know, we have track men here, uh, but our players get a Maceta shirt. And so it has a, a swinging, you know, pirate on it at the Chetta, which is, you know, means barrel Spanish, but our guys get a chance to wear that shirt. It's almost like a badge of honor. So, basically it helps tie in all the different training uh, techniques that we have, which again, it goes back to what are you swinging at and do you hit it hard? So we had that threshold done. So guys get a chance to do that. And then we also encourage them, Hey, like you're going to wear that shirt, uh, you know, in batting practice or you're in the cage, like you wear that. You don't necessarily have to wear uh, just our, you know, team, you know, t-shirt and all that other stuff. So it kind of gives guys a little bit more, of that feel of no, like this is what we're trying to grow towards. You know, I've accomplished this goal and it just, it creates a little bit of that competition, but also that reminder uh, of what really what hitting is at the end of the day, which is, you know, what are you swinging at? Can you hit it hard? I like that. And you mentioned that you guys have a bunch of different ones. Are there any other that you are willing to share today? With, with regard to shirts or just uh, competitions or both? Or? Yeah. Just competitions in general. Yeah. Um, you know, we have, uh, you know, game style, you know, type of, uh, you know, BP where we're throwing in, you know, more mix, you know, if you end up uh, swinging at a pitch that's not in your zone, there's a consequence to it. You're out, okay. you know, so you, you lose the rest of the round. You know, we, we do a lot of stuff like that. I mean, it's not anything that that's really earth shattering. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just more, uh, more intentionality. I think to what our training uh, techniques are is you know, to be able to do that. You know, we, incorporate more machines. Uh, we incorporate different you know, shapes and pitches and trajectories. So that way it helps us be able to, you know, get our guys to understand how to get on certain you know, types of planes and certain types of pitches, you know, similar to uh, Fangrass had an article about um, what uh, the Seattle Mariners. Uh, so if a guy has, you know, elite ride, it's, you know, he swings that plus or two, if he has run, it's one or two plus. So it gives guys all. I know that there's a lot of late action on this pitch or it has a lot of ride. Um, I need to swing in this location for me. So that way I'm able to square up the pitch or have the best opportunity to square up the pitch. So I think for me, that's the one thing that has been, um, you know, an adjustment period. And even, you know, back in 2015, when I was a hitting coach, I mean, I'm, I'm man enough to say that I, I wasn't ready. To, to think in this perspective, you know, so um, a lot of what I do has 
evolved over the past, you know, four or five years. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to get guys, you know, willing to um, see the game from different vantage, vantage points and different perspectives. So, you know, it, it's taking some time, right. you know, yeah. and, and I think that again, it goes back to, to falling forward, to failing forward. I like that a lot. And, and Drew, you're obviously a guy that is learning on a consistent basis. So if you could boil down something that you've learned lately that's gotten you really excited and it's gotten you just something that, that, you, that you've read or something that you've learned, uh, what would that be? Thinking Fast and uh, Slow by Dan Kahneman. Okay. Um, it, it goes into more of just the, the human aspect, the, how your brain coincides with what you're thinking, understanding that people have uh, natural inherent biases, knowing that, you know, we as human beings, the way that we are raised, we think in certain patterns and, you know, just being aware of what those biases are and, and being more cognizant of just how we all interact with one another. So um, I think that's one book. Um, I read it actually last year and it's still one of those ones that really has impacted me, you know, a lot recently. Um, I would say, uh, trying to think of, a, of another book that it really has done a, an impact. Me. I think, uh, the traveler's gift, uh, was another one. Um, and that was more of a, just spiritual walk, like talking about having balance and understanding that, you know, God's plan for you. Sometimes it, it is a broken road. Sometimes you're, you're not certain why, um, you're going through certain trials and tribulations, but you know, we, we don't have that opportunity sometimes to be able to see and think, um, in, in the way that, that God sees and thinks. And mm-hmm. that's the reason why it's God. And so, you know, for me, um, that, that really helped just, especially in, in the transition of this past off season and, you know, knowing that my family needed me closer to home and being willing to take a little bit of step out in the unknown. And, and again, I think that those books that were really kind of impactful for me over the past, uh, you know, fall of my life. I love that. And, and I love that, I haven't read either either of those, so I need to obviously add those to my Amazon wish list that is continually growing. <laughs> I will also link those down in the show notes just to make sure that our listeners have an opportunity to read those. Uh, second question in our kind of advice section, what's something that you guys do in practice that your players love uh, or just in training that, that they love or just... Just a different aspect of, hey, we're going to do this today. And even in pro ball, when you have 27-year-old guys in the minor leagues uh, or 37 or whatever, what have you, uh, I think baseball players, for the most part, are all the same. We're all kids at heart. So what's something that you guys do that they just they love, they can't get enough of? Ooh, um, I think there's a couple. So I'll actually okay. go um, with what uh, Jamie Carroll and Greeny have done with our infielders. So... Um, during the throwing program, it's not just a traditional, we're going to, you know, throw it, you know, 60, 90, 120. Um, we integrate in, uh, relays, we integrate in four corners. They do different infield pivots and stuff like that with, uh, with the players The the guys really enjoy, especially the lower levels, because we'll put them on the clock. We'll make them compete with one another. Um, we'll get them to really just be in, in an environment that's close to the game. You know, we'll do rapid fire, uh, you know, training stuff. So, you know, there, there is a little bit of like, you know, badge of honor, uh, competition, um, you know, pieces with one another. So it's really kind of getting those guys, you know, in 
a environment where there is, you know, like the consequences, but more importantly, they're competing against each other. So uh, that's one. Um, we will have, uh, with the hitting space, uh, we'll end up dividing up teams and we'll end up having the guys, uh, you know, compete against one another. And we'll have them uh, actually arrange a lineup and we'll have those guys uh, actually have different quote unquote types of pitchers. And we'll have the, the teams have a designated manager and then they'll try to create different, you know, constraints or shapes with, uh, with their opposing team. So like, you know, you'll have a team, I'll have a team. And, and I know that you can't hit a guy that has four seam ride and a breaking ball. So mm-hmm. when you get up and it's second, third and one out, we'll tell one of our other coaches, Hey, you're going to go in and you're a four seam ride and a breaking ball. And so you get a chance to get players to think more um, about like how to manage a game, mm-hmm. uh, how to arrange the, the phantom defense. And, and again, like, you know, the losers go pick up balls and, you know, we, we just, we, we, again, we try to get our guys to think just outside of just the hitting space or just the infield space. We want them to think about what it, what it would be like to be able to manage a game or be able to think about how you get your partner out and how pitch shapes would be able to coincide with that. So uh, the guys like it. There's a lot of smack talk that goes along with it. And it's something that uh, we're trying to be able to encourage our guys to do more consistently. Sure, that sounds like a lot of fun. So I'm over here taking notes because I think that would be that would be very worthy of our time. I, I really like that a lot. And last question, and you hit on this a little bit as far as favorite books and resources go, but if you had to go back and maybe some base, some different baseball-specific ones, but what are some different ones that helped your coaching career or helped enlighten you in some different aspects of baseball? Uh, you know, I, I think a lot in terms of, like, baseball-specific. I know that, you know, Ted Williams' science hitting is up there. Really, a lot of my growth as a coach would just come from reading other, you know, coaches' uh, memoirs. You know, I think Tony Dungy has been a big impact for me, uh, reading a lot of his books, um, especially uh, Uncommon. That, that was one that really kind of stood the test of time for me. I know Jim Trestle's books, uh, Urban Meyer, and uh, I'm kind of showing my Ohio State fandom a little bit there, but a lot of those, you know, books just about leadership have, have helped me be able to learn how to, you know, create environments. And, and I think that that's really where a lot of the growth as a leader has uh, really evolved, just because you get a chance to be able to, uh, you know, hear a lot of successful coaches uh, talk about what they found successful, mm-hmm. some of their shortcomings. And again, I think it's where a lot of, as you know, we try to be more, uh, humble and more servant, like, you know, to hear these guys and how they create those environments. And really, I think that that's what makes those guys special is they, they create those environments for their coaches to be unique, uh, to be themselves and, and how they uh, really allow their players to do the same thing. I love that. And, you know, despite urban and what he, you know, some people think about him, his book above the line, I, I thought was absolutely phenomenal. Is that the one that you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. That's a really, really good one. That's a really good one. Well, Drew, uh, I appreciate everything that you've done for us today and all the things that you were, you shared. And uh, I think that you were completely transparent and not only a coaching level, but also as a human level. And I think that uh, obviously this was a, a very worthwhile conversation and, and you did a fantastic job. But if there are any 
uh, listeners that would like to get in touch with you, what would be the best way to do so? Uh, I think you can follow me on Twitter at uh, sailor 19 I do have uh, other means as well. Uh, you know, I think they can reach out to, to you, and I'm more than willing to have conversations. Uh, share my email, uh, drew.taylor at pirates.com. Whatever way that I can help and assist, that's, that's my purpose. That's my mission. I think that our game has given so much to all of us, and I think, um, you know, to quote Woody Hayes, you win with people, and, you know, you need to pay it forward. And so whatever way that I can assist and help, Anyone, any parent, um, any player, um, I, I want to be a resource and, and a value for people moving forward. So, you know, any way that, that people want to reach out and communicate, I am, I'm all for to be able to help. Fantastic. And uh, again, you brought it today. You were fantastic in sharing and emptying your pockets on everything that you, or a lot of the different things that you guys do. But I'm going to open up the mic for you and let you just talk to our listeners. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell them before you go? Yeah, I think really as we continue to evolve and and as we continue to grow, um, not only as an industry, the, the two most important things I think are one that, you know, understanding that, you know, everything that we learn, nothing is ours. You know, it, it's our responsibility to share an impact, you know, one another's lives. Um, so being as open as we can, uh, being able to help in any way possible, I think that's huge and critical. And that's what I think makes baseball special. Um, so continuing to do that, I think, is, is critical to the growth of our game and, and the way that we're going to continue to thrive um, as an industry. And, and second is stay curious. I, I know that we talk a lot about, you know, we want to, you know, think outside the box and, you know, we have to integrate all these different things. I think being curious and, and in a growth mindset, I think that that's where we can make connections with people. So um, if there's two things that I would share with the listeners, it, it'd be those two things. You know, share, grow, and be curious. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which could include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.